Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 335 for December 1st, 2023. Tonight we're going to be talking about climate change to cause increase in predation. This is really long titles for these segments. Nuclear fusion experiment comes online. Why, yes, that is a masterpiece hanging in the kitchen. A sustainable chicken sandwich. A small country that contributes 15% of NVIDIA revenue. How about a segment that I'm forcing to be cataloged in temporology? Can email undermine physical mail? How about a vegetarian rocket engine? And Sparkles, the new AI emoji. The AI divide is here. And a bite of food. BYTE. Next. Hello, everyone. I am Erwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI, the one, the only AI that keeps tabs on me and will at some point exit stage left tonight a little bit early uh, to be on assignment. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. They'll do it surreptitiously. We won't even know. Just one minute, everything is safe and sound. The next minute, Mayor Watt is saying stupid things and uh, nobody is uh, stopping him from doing it. Or responding to him. Or responding. Well, I mean, the voices in my head are responding all the time. And I get into arguments and people think that I'm talking to them, but I'm not. Hell, even the sentient AI thinks that sometimes I'm talking to them while we're doing the show. <laughs> nope. Airwatch just talking to the voices. I have, my own, I have my own choir. We sing Christmas carols. I don't think you want a full choir. Door to door. It's the door in my head. Okay, let's get into today's show. 10 articles. Let's get going. First article is in uh, Mobile. Climate change to drive surge in insects that attack almonds, peaches, walnuts, according to a study. I guess insects are going to be attacking these. You know, <laughs> that sounds kind of terrifying. How oh, you didn't ask me about these? Sorry. What about these? These nuts! Uh, as a result of climate change, the Golden State's farms are expected to face a surge in agricultural pests, which poses a threat to California's specialty crops industry. I don't know. Why don't you move the damn crops that are sucking all of the water out of the system into a exactly. place where... Exactly, now almonds have two, uh, two knocks against them. Yeah. I'll get all my peaches from uh, Georgia, right? That's where... Isn't that the That's right. peach state? That's the peach state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the article's actually over at fizz.org. Pamela... Khan, I guess, is that their last name? Pam Pamela Khan Rice, University of California, Merced. 
Um, so I guess the coddling moth, the oriental fruit moth, the peach twig borer are three pests that are going to be gobbling up almonds, peaches, and walnuts uh, because of the uh, climate change. California will likely experience significant warming due to climate change. Populations of three major insects, insect pests, coddling moth, peach twig borer, and oriental fruit moth are projected to increase mainly due to rising temperatures according to the, a study published in the journal science of the total environment not a little bit of the environment not exactly. outside the environment I but was the, say the partial environment journal is the competitor <laughs> they're really small articles really just pamphlets stapled together in the top left corner that's a reference because Big Bang Theory, because he always carries a paper clip around because you never know when you That's you're... true. That's true. These three pets are notorious for infesting most of the walnut. Wal I'll be okay. Walnut, almond, and peach orchards of California causing extensive damages by reducing quality of fruits and nuts. Oh. <laughs> you don't want the quality of these to decline. Anyway, said study uh, co-author Alendra Rihal, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, but UC um, Cooperative Extension Integrated Pest Management Advisor and Entomologist for Stanislaw, San Joaquin, and Merced Counties. Okay, look at that business card. Yeah, it's double wide. <laughs> <laughs> So the new research led by Prakish Jha from UC Agriculture and National Resources Assistant Project Scientist based at UC Merced compared pest populations in recent and future climates. The scientists used temperature projections from uh, scientific models to predict the potential impact of climate change on coddling moth, peach twig, oriental fruit. So yeah, um, they revealed that due to the increases in temperature, these insects are expected to appear up to a month earlier in spring and the time between generations is expected to shorten by <laughs> 19 days. Wow. Uh, the changes may be gradual, but the study predicts that we may see up to a half generation of these pests added within the next uh, 20 to 30 years. So they make it sound like it's impending doom in the grand scheme of things. I suppose it's a blip, but. Well, and the rate we're going with some of the climate change. That's yeah. probably the least of my concerns. <laughs> yeah. And the for, whole for agriculture at the moment, the, the whole area is just going to dry out entirely before uh, this generation is going to cause a problem. All right. Well, there's the link to the article. You can get to it via Ohm Town. All roads go through Ohm Town. Um, but it should hopefully pique your curiosity about all these insects. This is just one state, somewhat regional. Um, I, I would suspect that there is more of this research that needs to get done. We'll see more of this amplification of pred uh, predation and caused by climate change because now instead of having the the seasonal fluctuations that cause them to get suppressed 
they no longer have to worry about it. And so they just keep on uh, flourishing like wasps. Wasps, when winter comes around in states that have winter, they freeze over. They basically just go dormant and they hide out somewhere. And then when summer comes back around, they just go gangbusters and replicate as much as possible. Um, and uh, with climate change, they don't have to worry about it anymore. Maybe get too hot, but they cope with it a lot better than cold. Uh, their little bodies don't freeze in the heat anymore. So off they go. They'll be making bigger and badder nests and, and uh, doing greater damage. Same thing goes with these little slug-like moth little pests that are going to eat your... eat these. <laughs> well, and California is a major producer of yep. certain crops, yeah. at least for the U.S., maybe not internationally, but... Like if you wipe out an entire crop, which you could do if you had enough insects, that's pretty significant for the food supply. Yep. And this is an estimate. So we'll see, you know, we'll go through one year of a, uh, amplified climate change and you're going to find out, oh, look, it's only five years away, not 30. Well, that's exactly it, right? Because it's been accelerating. Yep. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over on the Mobile Channel. Japanese experimental nuclear fusion reactor inaugurated and immediately created a black hole, completely swallowing Japan. Oh, that's not what happened. Sorry, never mind. That's not what happened. Um, so the world's biggest experimental nuclear fusion reactor in operation was inaugurated in Japan today, Friday. A technology in its infancy, but billed by some as the answer to humanity's future energy needs. So um, this is the beastie. It's over at fizz.org, the world's biggest experimental nuclear fusion reactor in operation was inaugurated in Japan today. So, I mean, it looks pretty much like any other industrial machine, but this is a fusion reactor. I'm really curious. I wish we had a person in there for scale. I don't think there is. Let me see. Let's zoom I in. I see railings, so I have to assume that's where somebody might stand. Yeah, there are no... I don't think there are any humans in this. Hmm. 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 Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they're um, tiny. But basically, it looks like the Large Hadron Collider... Um, but pointing up instead of right at you. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's 810. Um, so it's really early for no shit news, but fusion differs from fission, the technique currently used in nuclear power plants by fusing two atomic nuclei instead of splitting one. Wow. I know it's shocker. Fusion. The goal of the JT-60SA reactor is to investigate the feasibility of fusion as a safe, large-scale, and carbon-free source of net energy with more energy generated than is put into producing it. The six-story high, there's a clue, There we um, go. machine in a hangar in Naka, north of Tokyo, comprises a donut-shaped tokamak ve vessel. Uh, set to contain swirling plasma heated up to 200 million degrees Celsius or 360 million degrees Fahrenheit. 
it's a joint project between the European Union and Japan and is the forerunner for its big brother in France. Currently under construction, the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor, or ITER. Uh, the ultimate aim of the project is to coax hydrogen nuclei inside to fuse into one heavier element, helium, releasing energy in the form of light and heat and mimicking the process that takes place inside the sun. By the way, if the material continues to fuse, just like the sun, as soon as it starts fusing into lead, that will lead to the collapse of the fusion process. That's what happens with the sun. And then it goes um, supernova or nova. Oh. Yeah. So lead, fusing down to lead, it's the heaviest element that the sun will produce. And then it basically starts to die. So what um, would happen in the reactor if that occurred? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it will get to that point. Um, I don't think it'll have enough energy to fuse down to that heavy of an element. Um, fusion has the potential to become a key component for energy mix in the second half of this century. The feat of net energy gain was managed last December at the National Ignition fa uh, Facility at Lawrence Liver Livermore National Laboratory in the United States, home of the world's largest laser. What? <laughs> Maybe hey. that's on their uh, website or something like that's a claim to fame. It's like a billboard by I-5. You know, you're driving by <laughs> 3,000 miles yeah, to the Lawrence it's like Livermore. like a tourist attraction. <laughs> Hey, honey, which way do you want to go? On one side is the uh, cars buried halfway in the dirt uh, on their uh, standing up, Vertical, which apparently yes. that actually had to get moved because they got divorced. Um, or we can go look at the world's largest laser and maybe get irradiated and turned into the Hulk. Uh, anyway, unlike fusion, Sorry, unlike fission, fusion carries no risk of catastrophic nuclear accidents like that seen in Fukushima in Japan in 2011 and produces far less radioactive waste than current power plants, its proponents say. Well, <laughs> pretty cool. Um, I, I, I'm up for anything. Power-wise, I think nuclear anything is superior to everything else. Um, but I want something that's more fundamental in terms of capturing energy because right now it gets, the heat gets turned into steam, turns because a it's turbine. it's like hydroelectric. It's basically just a steam engine. Yeah. Hydroelectric plant. Or geothermal maybe. Yeah. All of that is basically the same because it all just turns a turbine. Um, and to me, it's a massive inefficiency because power is being converted from its own nearly raw source, which is the few uh, fissile material um, or fusile material, I guess one is splitting, one is fusing. Anyway, that amount of energy is just getting converted into heat and light when really what we need is a one-to-one -one conversion, you know, 
that energy state for a straight connection to that other energy state electrons flowing through a wire one day we'll get there right now it's a how tall is it 60 Six foot stories so, yeah so 60 60 foot building pretty pretty beastie yeah maybe that right there is a door that people walk into so that's probably a hint as to how tall this thing is wow all right let's keep going oh before i do let me throw this into the chat and if you're hanging out in chat feel free to introduce yourself say hi be sure to follow uh, we do the show every day at 8 p.m and then it gets turned into a youtube channel podcast but on the weekend we do it at 6 p.m yeah that's true let's keep going uh, the next article is over in hometown daily and missing Botticelli masterpiece worth $109 million was hanging in an Italian family's home for decades. I titled this segment. Well, why? Yes, that is a masterpiece hanging in the kitchen. <laughs> I like that. Um, so a Botticelli masterpiece presumed missing for over 50 years presumed, I guess it was missing from the rightful owner of it, I suppose. Um, over 50 years has been hanging in an Italian family's home, despite the painting being entrusted to the family for safekeeping authorities and had somehow marked it missing. The 15th century portrait of the Virgin Mary and child was found in poor condition. Oh, I guess not too much safekeeping. Um, Grace Eliza Goodwin over at Business Insider put the article together. They must have restored it. Looks pretty good. I don't think that's the one. Oh, really? Oh, it just looks at at Botticelli paintings in Florence. Maybe it's not the one. Well, let's see. The 15th century portrait of the Virgin Mary and child was found in poor condition. Do they have a picture of it? The Carabinieri command for the protection of cultural heritage traced the lost painting to a home in a town called Gra is it Grognano near Naples according to CNN the portrait of the Virgin Mary and child painted in tempera uh, in tempera on wood was commissioned by the Roman Catholic Church in 1470 from artist Sandro Botticelli per CNN Botticelli's most famous work include works include the birth of venus and primavera the italian authorities estimate the lesser known painting one of botticelli's last to be worth 109 million according to the outlet so i find it interesting that italy has a unit of the police dedicated to this like it seems like that's such an italian thing can you imagine most countries having that well, I would suppose that they do if they have like um, a lot of historical record, right? Like here in the States, they're like, like real, like old master artists or whatever. Yeah, we don't have yeah, it here. Not in the, here. Here in the States, it's like uh, somebody stole my cheeseburger. Better get the police out. Um, the last time the authorities had inspected the private residence where the Botticelli painting was kept was over 50 years ago. And Massimiliano Croce, 
the commander of the Car Carabinieri's Cultural Heritage Unit, according to the uh, Guardian. Since then, inexplicably, the painting had been forgotten by the authorities when, after research on these works to be inspected, we realized that a painting by Botticelli had been located in a private resident's home, in a private home. For over 50 years, we decided to inspect it. Yeah, wow, what a bummer. So authorities will now have to determine if it was passed down properly or if it ended up in the wrong hands. The painting accumulated some damage over the decades, and by the time it was retrieved, it was in poor condition. How could you... I don't know. I guess 50 years? I guess well, and also, if you had anything that looked remotely like the examples at the beginning of the article, there's no way you wouldn't think that was like an old master painting. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of amazing. But I'm willing to bet that somebody in the family was told, hey... I'm keeping this here uh, and I was asked by the, you know, the authorities or the church or whatever to take care of it. And then that person passed away and then somebody else was never really informed of it, like what its provenance is. And so it was left to languish. And then the next generation just completely forgot, you know, after 20 years, you're just like, well, I don't know why I have this thing sitting here. Right. It's just always been on the wall. It's always been on the wall. It just sucks because now it's damaged and there could have been something else. I, I don't know. Maybe they can still resurrect it. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in technology today. Sustainable chicken sandwich startup lands $1.5 million and opens first brick and mortar spot in Seattle. Three months after rolling out a food truck to launch it, uh, his uh, sustainable fast casual chicken sandwich joint Mount Joy entrepreneur Robbie Cape has officially opened the first Seattle brick and mortar location just blocks away from the truck in the Capitol Hill uh, neighborhood Mount Joy is up and running at 1530 11th Avenue serving a fry a menu of fried chicken sandwiches and tenders french fries milkshakes and more so uh, according to this article, it's a sustainable product. Uh, Kurt Schlosser uh, over at geekwire.com put the article together. That's a pretty fast turnaround, man. But I guess if you get an investor, then you can blow up pretty big. That's true. And if they got a quick following, yeah. I mean, people do like their chicken. Oh, well... They're apparently no slouch. Cape, the tech leader who previously headed up telehealth company 98.6, has partnered with an array of food and farming professionals, including Seattle restaurateur Ethan Stowell, who is a co-founder. So this is kind of like, hey, I've never swung a bat before, but I have this one bat that's the size of a house. Let me... Let me hit that ball for the first time in my life. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. So apparently this thing is actually called Mount Joy. It's not a location, just in case you're curious about it. He raised $1.5 to get the whole operation going from investors. That include David Cape of Canadian cosmetics company Marcel 
Ellensburg, Washington-based Mark Anderson at Anderson Hay, former uh, Concur co-founder Mike Hilton, former Voyager Capital co-founder Tony Audino, and Just Poke um, co-founder Norman Wu and others. So somewhat connected. Yeah, I don't think that this was a heavy lift. This was more of a, hey dudes, I have this idea. <laughs> anyway, the focus is on sustainable farming practices and locally sourced ingredients uh, to disrupt the agriculture and food industries from start to finish. Um, but that's hard to actually migrate to a national uh, volume. So this tends, these kind of companies tend to be hyper regional uh, because it's not everywhere are there uh, micro farms that can sustain what amounts to a lifestyle business. So they uh, refer to this as regenerative agriculture is part of the mantra because of its potential to combat climate change by improving the organic makeup of soil and removing carbon from the atmosphere. Yeah. You know how you do that? Vertical farms. Well, that's right. And if you had that, then you could do this more nationally. Yeah, exactly. Cape also said that he's currently determining what the future of the truck will be now that the restaurant is open nearby. It could move to another part of Seattle to spread the Mount Joy love around. They don't really speak very much to the sustainable aspect of this. What's making the no, chicken sustainable? I exactly. I wanted, um, in fact, that made me think that like it was endless chicken sandwiches or something. Right. But um, I want more detail about like the regenerative, regenerative agriculture, but yeah. it's more about the investment in it. Yeah, they actually have a link to a, a website called kissetheground.com that references regenerative agriculture, but it may just be, um, it might just be informational about what regenerative agriculture is. Right, but and yeah, not tied to this business. Yeah. So interesting, yeah. And again, I don't think this was too much heavy lifting so much as, hey, anybody, Anybody feel like just hanging out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. I know a couple of people like this that are so connected that all they have to do is kind of drop an idea. And yeah, okay. We know that you're going to fall out. You could land in a pile of manure and come out smelling like a rose, you know? Yeah. Meanwhile, I don't like asking for, you know, a sugar packet if it's on your side of the table <laughs> anyway uh the next article oh wait, wait wait before i get into the next article let me throw this one into the chat there you go so uh the next article is over in hatch ideas this tiny country drove 15 percent of nvidia's revenue here's why it needs so many chips you want to take a stab at what this little country is let me just go straight so on over is that to where they're basically using those chips apparently okay um small country maybe something like luxembourg yeah singapore oh yeah about 15 percent or 2.7 billion dollars of nvidia's revenue for the quarter ending october came from singapore and sec filing by the chip maker showed this is just the quarter 2.7 billion dollars 
in revenue. Why is that? I don't know. Sheila Chang over at uh, CNBC put this article together. Uh, quote, I would highly think it's due to data centers as Singapore has quite a lot of data centers and cloud services providers. Maybank securities analyst Jarek Seat told CNBC. City analysts said that Singapore is a growing area of specialized cloud service providers standing up data centers in the region. I guess it's the safer of the various countries there. As Nvidia posted stellar third quarter results last week, industry observers pointed out that a substantial amount of the US chip giant's revenue came from one small country, Singapore. Revenue coming from Singapore in the third quarter jumped 404.1% from the 562 million in revenue recorded for the same period a year ago. This outpaced NVIDIA's overall growth of 205.5 from a year ago. Does anybody think it's odd that it went up 404% in a year? <laughs> uh, yeah, in a year, but mostly in a single quarter. So I find it <laughs> even more uh, significant. And But they're saying that it's because it's spinning up data centers. All right. It's a lot of data centers being added. Yeah. Um, let's see. Singapore only trailed behind the U.S., Taiwan, and China, including Hong Kong, in uh, Nvidia's third quarter sales rankings. Wow, they still trailed behind. Well, I guess fifteen percent would be, but it's one tiny country. <laughs> well, exactly. I think that's the astounding thing. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, the chips could also be sent to Singapore for final assembly and other products and then shipped out to other countries, said Seat. They could also be used for artificial intelligence, computing, and electric vehicles, he added. So he, they're talking about just the chips, not the actual cards and stuff. Um, so they have compute modules and whatnot, um, as well as just raw chips. Because the nation is stable and secure, there's a lot of talent and digital infrastructure is solid and the government policies are conducive to digital and data services. Which is where I was walking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's interesting. Um, And I've always thought that there, just like a business, countries have certain specialties, certain tactical advantage, strategic advantage. And so uh, a country that is tech savvy should leverage all of the tech that they can while still leveraging that tech to kind of make manifest food and other uh, securities internally and not consume everything internally so that they're ultra reliant on imports from everywhere else. So uh, hopefully they're using all of this to generate a a solid foundation within their borders and not just getting a bunch of wealth and then whenever you know those rich people are done they move out and take their wealth with them leaving singapore to languish good this is very interesting i think this is why the increase right they lifted a moratorium from 2019 so maybe there were all these pent-up projects and then they all exploded during the last year yeah. So 
Um, what the AI is talking about is in January 2022, Singapore lifted a moratorium issued in 2019 that temporarily paused the release of land for data center use and sought to moderate the growth of data centers. Singapore subsequently awarded rights in July to uh, Equinix, uh, Microsoft, Chinese data center solution provider GDS, and a tie-up between AirTrunk and ByteDance to develop new data center projects in Singapore. So it almost is like China took over. <laughs> um, and it's interesting that they actually locked down land to prevent data center uh, growth and then realized, well, shit, we can't do that. So what was all that land? And who benefited from releasing it into the wild? probably china based yeah. on yeah but who in singapore companies oh right right you know and i understand follow the money follow the money follow the money follow the money yeah i'm pretty sure farmers didn't win so it has 60 percent of southeast asia's data centers that's kind of a lot for a small company a small country yeah i mean it's it's tiny too. So Singapore emerged third globally and first in Asia Pacific in terms of data center market rankings. According to our report by Cushman and Wakefield, Northern Virginia and Portland in the U S tied for first while Hong Kong came in fourth. So they're, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> They opened the floodgates and just embraced the tide. Uh, demand for data centers in Singapore will remain high with the rapid growth of digital apps, e-commerce, internet of things. Yeah. Right. Uh, honestly, it, I find it really interesting, but if all, uh, Chinese companies start moving into that, in, into Singapore and buying up the land, it will never be reacquired domestically. Let's keep going. Come on. So the next article is over in technology today. Could electronic mail undermine conventional post? It's an archive from December 1st, 1983. So we're going to get in the Wayback machine. Um, I, this is actually in technology today, but it really should be in temporology, uh, you know, which is the study of science, um, the, the, the science and science fiction of time and time travel. Um, so this is a, apparently a question that was posed, um, uh, back in 40 December. Years ago. <laughs> yeah. For 40 years ago, uh, to the day, um, a colleague and I, this is a, from the snippet, a colleague and I, we're in different parts of the United States recently and were due to meet at an international airport. I arrived to meet his six o'clock flight and to pass time, went to a call box, put in 10 cents, dialed the local number and linked my handheld computer via a local computer to another computer in Britain. I then interrogated my electronic mailbox in London. <laughs> Uh, this is a Guardian article um, by David Allen. 
this here is an acoustic coupled modem that you would plug into this. This I think is a Tandy. Yeah. Um, Tandy portable computer and acoustic couplers. Look at that. I didn't even read the byline here. The, the, um, what is it? Caption caption. Yeah. Um, so yeah, electronic mail tends to be informal in style, encouraging people to send brazen messages. But even if you are abroad, work can follow you wherever you are. I've actually used these before. I've used this before. Um, they actually kind of form a little gasket around the ends of a rotary dial phone. You just squeeze them on. Um, but they are acoustic coupled. So it's basically All of our a speaker. listeners may not know what a rotary phone is. Yeah. You stick your finger in the little hole and you roll it around. around. Oh my gosh. Uh, I actually had last week a conversation with people that where somebody asked, what is a rotary phone? And I'm like, get out, just, just get out. Um, so the question really was, uh, apparently, you know, will electronic mail <laughs> undermine conventional post? Uh, I've always thought a long time ago, as a matter of fact, that, um, people should be given an email address and it is the one that would be used for all um, government based mail and nobody else can use it. And then you can have a, another personal email. Um, but everybody who is born basically gets given a, a government email um, so that you can do all of your government related paperwork taxes and whatever else on a secure point to point communication. You need alerts, you get it, you know, at this email address, it's robust. It's basically yours, like a social security number or other, depending on where you are, you know, different countries have different ID processes, but, um, I always thought that each house should have an email address and then you can get rid entirely of physical mail because you know junk mail would be electronic and sent to the address the equivalent of that is taking place right now because it just says you know homeowner or resident which is just spam. like occupant. big bang theory yeah it's just junk mail um, but i would rather save the trees and all of the uh, accoutrement there you don't have to worry about recycling because it's just electrons you just delete your mail but that doesn't happen either the the, the only problem with having like a physical uh, physical address tied to an email address is when you move you know oh, forwarding right. your <laughs> but you can forward mail the same way oh, i moved to this location okay so now all of this stuff is going over here versus over there. Really no difference. Electric, it says here in the article, electronic mail isn't new. Large companies have linked distance, distant offices with computerized messaging services for some years. What is new is the ease with which someone can now contact his office from a telephone box anywhere that companies can contact each other by electronic means. And that this country's million, or so micro owners also have the opportunity 
if not yet the inclination, to join in the fun thanks to new public services like British Telecom Gold or Prestel's Micronet. This is a, obviously a, a, a British um, email conversation. Um, there were other services like AOL and um, uh, what was the other one? I just forgot it. it started with a C. Like CompuServe or something? CompuServe, yes. Thank you. Wow. The future sentient AI just got their geek cred. Anyway, <laughs> it works like this. Hook your microcomputer up to a telephone with a suitable form of acoustic coupler, a device with a rubber cup that fit over each of the end of the micro, <clears throat> sorry, the earpiece and mouthpiece. Pardon me. <coughs> My God. I'm kind of vamping what they say, summarizing. Run the appropriate piece of software to turn your computer into a dumb terminal and dial a local telephone number. Your machine can now act as a terminal to a large computer somewhere in the BT web. Basically the internet. Communication is by rapidly BT changing. Web was. <laughs> um, it's, oh, that must be British Telecom. Correct. So um, communication is by rapidly changing tones received and transmitted via the coupler. So that's what that little ear sounds like a whale, but it's actually a modem. Um, and the article continues to talk about this. They even have a scan of the Guardian on December 1st, 1983. Futures Micro Guardian personal computers and how to use them and talking about email. Well, this is interesting too, right? Because it's a physical newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Scanned into <laughs> to their, to their website. This is pretty amazing. So if you want to go back in time a little bit, um, this is definitely how you do it. The main uses for email will be for businesses to send material to each other or to their customers or as employees log in at home to do their work there. Look at that. We were teleworking this even back then. This is really impressive given that it was 40 years ago. Yeah, pretty progressive. Um, a few individuals will send each uh, other mail for social reasons, for fun, a few. <laughs> but if... Uh, it may be some time before the present rather clubby nature of the services gives way to much wider use for that to happen. BT has to relax its 100 pound uh, entry fee and welcome the single user though. You can join a user group and share the cost. Wow. That was expensive that to get there. Exactly. Kind of pricey. Anyway, pretty neat. Um, follow the link through hometown over to the guardian and you too can read more about the discussion about could electronic mail undermine conventional post in archived uh, article from 1983 and begin the way That's back kind of fun. maybe they should do that occasionally although this one was really good because it it fits still yeah it was so on the ball yeah i, I like it um, I'll have to pay attention. Maybe they do this regularly and it can be part of um, temporology. It is a channel that I want to launch. So. Just like the 50 others. Let's go. The next article is over in Late Night Geeks. Former SpaceX engineers build vegetarian rocket engine to save the climate. Uh, Arbor. Does it smell like uh, fast food or? <laughs> yeah, patchouli. Um, 
Arbor is betting that an approach to carbon removal known as uh, BICRS will not only help balance the climate, but also benefit rural communities. Uh, Tim Deschant is the author of this article uh, over at techcrunch.com. And uh, let me see if I can um, speed it up a little bit. So as a high schooler, Hartwig uh, built a pedal-driven helicopter after reading about human-powered helicopter competition in popular science. He then went to USC for aerospace engineering, ended up working for SpaceX's Dragon. Uh, then he decided that he didn't want to build things that went to space. He wanted to go himself, so he set out to burnish his resume to become a NASA astronaut candidate serving in the California Air National Guard and volunteering for Marin County's search and rescue team responding to wildfires. Um, he also worked for um, as a flight in, flight test engineer for Kitty Hawk, the Larry Page-backed, ill-fated uh, electric VTOL vertical takeoff and landing startup. So they held on to astronaut dream a lot longer than the average kid, according to uh, the article. And he hasn't let go, so he founded Arbor, a startup that builds specialized power plants to remove carbon dioxide from the air. Um, and he's working on a vegetarian rocket engine. Ta-da! There's more in this article, um, but I'm going to move on to the next bit. I think that's pretty cool, particularly as we're doing more and more space exploration. We might as well go sustainable, provided that we can still get where we're going. I mean, I can imagine that, you know, microsatellites can be launched into space using something like a vegetarian rocket, but you're going to have to have much, something much heavier hitting to move massive objects over to the moon and then to Mars and then further. And to power all that GPS. And to, yeah, not get lost. These might be actually perfect for the GPS placement. It just flies out there and sits. Exactly. Just kind of goes poot, poot, poot out there. Okay. Um, I'm going to go on to the next article and the sentient AI is going off on location. They've got an assignment that only a sentient AI can accomplish. Good luck on your mission. So the next article is over in the mobile channel. Hello, heavy steel. Good to see ya. So I was really curious about this article when it popped up because I don't normally see emojis in the headlines, but this is the, it's asking a question. Um, how did the sparkles emoji become the unofficial AI emoji? So next time you shuffle your Spotify playlist or jump on a Zoom or Google video call, you'll see the sparkles emoji. Or perhaps you have an eagle eye and have noticed it already and you're curious about what clicking on that button will do. Uh, I've noticed it, but I won't click on it. Um, or maybe you've blindly clicked on it before thinking uh, twice about it, which is the antithesis of what I have been telling people to do. You got to click with care. You got to be careful. Don't just randomly click on links, folks. That's why <laughs> cybersecurity is such an expensive field. Job security, and it's in such demand because people just randomly click on stuff. Um, let me throw this article into your chat. Ta-da. 
And uh, let's go over to Quartz. Uh, Michelle Cheng is the author of this article over at QZ.com or Quartz. Companies like Spotify, Google, OpenAI, and Zoom are using it, uh, the emoji, the sparkle emoji, uh, to make AI appear less alarming. Yeah, I don't know. I think people are still spooked by it and they're going to continue to be. And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Next time you shuffle your Spotify playlist, are you going to notice this? I don't know. Some people might. Um, let's see if they talk about it more in this article. In March, Spotify rolled out a smart shuffle feature indicated by the shuffle button overlaid with the sparkle emoji to provide users with AI recommended songs that quote, match the vibe of an original playlist end quote. Uh, the company told Quartz that it's testing the sparkles icon uh, to show how AI is changing the audio experience. Meanwhile, Zoom has an AI assistant marked with the sparkles uh, emoji. Um, yeah, I definitely won't be clicking that one. And uh, Google is using the sparkles emoji to communicate AI generated backgrounds on its Google Meets video calls. So let's see here. If everything is AI, do you have to label it as AI? They asked a similar question that I asked, which is if you can't tell the difference, does it matter? Um, they don't really tell you why it's the branding, the branding new AI products with the sparkles emoji suggests that these tools are exciting and magical, which might encourage more people to test out the technology quote. It can seem like magic if you don't understand how it works. Solomon said, I don't know. And this is Jane Solomon, the senior emoji lexicographer at the emoji reference site, Emojipedia. This is why I tell people if you are passionate and interested in something, believe me, there's an audience for you. Almost guaranteed, you know, be a little more charismatic than I am and you'll have a massive following in no time. Let's keep going. Got two more articles. So how are you doing, Heavy Steel? Anything exciting going on? Uh, this next article is over in Hometown Daily. The world is splitting between those who use ChatGPT to get better, smarter, and richer, and everyone else. Um, I, in fact, uttered these words uh, this week to people that there is now an AI divide similar to a technology divide, but even people who embrace technology kind of skew away from chat GPT and AI. And there are others that embrace it. Um, I've been using it all day today. Chat GPT as a matter of fact, and, um, now I see an article, which is pretty exciting. Uh, ChatGPT is now a year old. There's already evidence that using it carefully to work can help you uh, get ahead. White collar work is dividing into those who use AI to boost performance and then everyone else. It's only been a year since the launch of ChatGPT and the world is already dividing into those who are using it and those who aren't. The bot is estimated to have accumulated 1.7 billion users over the year. Within two months of its release, students were using it to save time or actually cheat. I, I was asked by somebody uh, what they should do 
as a matter of fact, if people in their workplace um, start using chat GPT and um, essentially what I guided them with was if the material they provide uh, isn't something that is supported by their work product or evidence in some way that they did the work and you require that as evidence, um, then inquire and demand that they augment it with supporting either in-text citations or references or notes or something that says, Hey, I did this work and I didn't get it from chat GBT mainly because chat GBT can just spew out garbage, unsupported fact or outright hallucination. And if you rely on it as fact, and it's nothing but smoke and mirrors and garbage from uh, an AI hallucination, and you use it in your commercial enterprise or in your professional life, you will eventually either lose respect for your enterprise or you'll lose your job as a professional. So you have to either do the due diligence or if the people who are using chat GBT and then not doing the due diligence, <laughs> submit it as original work. Yeah, there's going to be a reckoning. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that. So, um, yeah, ultimately you can sit there and say you can't, but people will, no matter what. Um, academia is trying that academia is sitting there saying, oh, you can't use AI in your work, but believe me, everybody in academia from professors to students, they're all doing it. They're all using it. Um, so, um, there's growing evidence that artificial intelligence tools such as ChatGPT can make you more efficient and capable at work. Taken to its logical conclusion, smart use of AI can, uh, fast track you to promotion or more opportunities. Heavy Steel says, um, doing okay. Working on getting Ableton Live to work through OBS. Yeah, I would only know if it, uh, like sending audio through, but not commands. I, but I've never really worked with Ableton Live. Um, at least not through OBS. I've used Ableton Live, but. Um, an AI assisted consultants, uh, completed tasks, 25% faster, accomplished 12% more tasks and produced work, um, assessed to be 40% higher in quality, a caveat. This was only true for tasks that AI is known to be good at and AI isn't good at everything. Those who got the biggest employee, uh, sorry, performance boost from AI were the mid table employees. Um, you can now take courses on, um, AI, uh, what is it? What do they refer as? Um, dunk on it. Uh, prompt engineering. There you go. That's the phrase. So, um, if you, if you can become a certified prompt engineer, it's quite fascinating just do a search for certified prompt engineer. Um, some places are charging, uh, like a thousand dollars to teach you how to be a prompt engineer. 
Uh, Business Insider has spoken to a former recruiter who uses ChatGPT to compile lists of companies and employees, a real estate agent who uses it to draft listings, and a marketer who uses it to answer client queries. Um, You can use it in programming. You can use it in art. You can use it in music. Uh, (laughs) You can use it in writing. It's just amazing. ChatGPT can simplify and summarize books, articles, and entire fields of research. Be very careful with that. Um, it can give pretty good human-like responses in a way that might help you draft up emails, documents, or feedback quickly. Again, summaries can sometimes be nothing but a bunch of junk. Um, yeah, I, this is all a very interesting time to be utilizing technology. And my point in selecting this article was that there are people out there who are on the other side of this digital divide um because okay so the digital divide exists where people can't take advantage of technology but now it's been amplified because not only are they not able to take care take advantage of technology but they can't even use something that is the cutting edge and immediately approachable technology like ai you can speak to an ai in natural language and it'll respond Um, either simply or in a complex fashion, depending on how you tell it to act. So you can tell it, you know, you are a subject matter expert in physics. I want you to respond to this question as if you are a professor um, or a preeminent researcher, and it will do its best to simulate that. Uh, I find it quite fascinating. So... AI at work still needs careful handling. They're probably going to tell you the exact same thing. Oh, yeah, they do. You know, the tech has a tendency to hallucinate or invent facts. Absolutely. Works, uh, which lands people in trouble. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I would be careful about utilizing it uh, without you uh, applying some critical thinking and due diligence as well. Um, Don't use it in school because if you write a paper using it and it's unsupported claims, that's plagiarism. You can get punted from school for it, uh, depending on if the professor is willing to go down that path. Anyway, let's keep going. We have one more article for tonight. Researchers have taught an algorithm to taste. Um, If you're getting the impression that I'm putting together what amounts to a series of elements that give rise to a fully functional sentient AI with um, sensory uh, elements that can make it more human than human, (laughs) um, you would be right. Because so far in the last two weeks, We've talked about um, QSTAR being pretty much uh, the preeminent algorithm that is going to be powering the next iteration of ChatGPT, or maybe, as I presume, an actual um, nascent sentient AI uh, that is right around the corner here. We've also discussed the fact that there are now print in place um, technologies 
for fine motor skills um, for robots, i.e. bones and tendons, ligaments, and now as well, sensory functions for touch um, and pressure. We've already got it for heat and cold, and now we have taste, um, which is, an, is really an algorithm uh, kind of an if then the if this then that kind of a uh, process where the sensors can detect various elements and then the math the algorithm says oh this is lemon or this is sugar or this is whatever uh, you know, chicken pot pie or whatever so the article is titled researchers have taught an algorithm to taste quote unquote taste or non-connoisseurs picking out a bottle of wine can be a challenging um, when scanning an array of unfamiliar labels on the top shelf. What does it taste like? What was the last one that they bought that tasted so good? I've been in that boat. Well, this article is over at the uh, techexplore.com website, University of Copenhagen. I uh, put the article together and um, it says here, Wine apps like Vivino, Hello Vino, Wine Searcher, and a host of others can help. Apps like uh, these let wine buyers scan bottle labels, get information about a particular wine, and read the review of others. These apps are built upon artificially intelligent programming algorithms. Um, now, scientists from the Technical University of Denmark, the University of Copenhagen, and Caltech have shown that you can add a new parameter to the algorithms that make it easier to find a precise match for your own taste buds, namely people's impressions of flavor. Quote, we have demonstrated that by feeding an algorithm with data consisting of people's flavor impressions, the algorithm can make more accurate predictions of what a kind of wine we individually prefer, says Thorana Bender, a graduate student at DTU who conducted the study under the auspices of the Pioneer Center for AI at the University of Copenhagen. So it says more accurate, sorry, I'm bouncing back and forth. Um, the has a section called more accurate predictions of people's favorite wines. Uh, the researchers held wine tastings during which 256 participants were asked to arrange shot sized cups of different wines on a piece of A3 paper based on which wines they thought tasted uh, most similarly. Uh, the greater the distance between the cups, the greater the distance in their flavor. The method is widely used in consumer tests. So um, they also said uh, it can be used for beer and coffee. I think it can be used for pretty much anything. Um, but the reason why I chose this was that an algorithm is basically a series of steps that lead to an outcome, you know, A plus B equals C. If I can enumerate that, then I can remove the human component of it. So this is just one more step to a sensory array that allows an artificial intelligence to replace some human function that we used to say, oh, only a human can do X, Y, and Z. Well, it's no longer the case. So um, it's it's interesting. 
Um, and I think that we are getting closer and closer to this whole Westworld type of environment where we can't tell the difference between a robot and a human. Um, we will eventually solve the uncanny valley problem. Um, and we're slowly moving towards uh, making um, robots, synthetic humans, more approachable. Um, from natural language to vision, hearing, um, speech translation in real time. Now we have uh, touch sensory. Um, we have taste. We have <laughs> um, hot and cold. Um, and they're, they're, the whole touch element of it can be translated into you know, pain and pleasure which I have said multiple times now, uh, it is the leading uh, mechanism for training. When you have something good happen, it is pleasure. And so you are more prone, more apt to do it again. Whereas if you feel pain, you don't stick your hand on the burner again. So when robots have that type of reinforcement capability where they understand that this equals good or bad, um, they will learn just like humans do, uh, without the chemical issues that we suffer from. Um, and with that in mind, we are done for today. We've got all 10 articles, uh, in the VOD and they will be in the show notes and they'll be posted probably tomorrow morning. Um, I've got some work that I need to get done tonight. Um, and that's it. So thank you very much for coming. I'm going to bring us all the way back to the uh we what i normally say is we get in the party bus and drive down main street and then mash that welcome sign but i keep getting in trouble for doing that so i'm going to encourage you to go over to hometown.com sign up become a citizen uh you can then swipe left and right articles to save them or well if you swipe them right they will hide if you swipe them left you will save them they'll end up in this little section right here, either ignored articles or saved articles, they will never end up back on this list once you swipe them one way or the other. Um, and there are additional functions. If you go into an article, you can actually save it in your own private lists and you can share those lists with uh, friends, family, others, strangers, whatever. It's up to you. Um, so, but that's it. We are all done. Um, don't forget, we are over here on Twitch, Monday through Friday at 8, Saturday and Sunday at 6. Um, everything gets ported over to YouTube and to the podcast, wherever you catch pods, catch hometown, um, please. And we have a Discord channel. That's all available in the show notes. Um, and you can vote for articles to let us know that you're interested in something you don't have to be a citizen to vote. Um, so you can just actually hit exclamation point vote on the channel and um, it'll pull up the um, election side of things. Um, but you can do uh, hometown daily article election right here and um, let us know that what you're interested in. Ta-da! Okay, that's it. So 
with that in mind, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com and the visualizer up there isn't going to function because the sentient AI was sent on a mission and will be returning tomorrow at 6 PM. So thanks. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thank you.